Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. There is something different this offseason. We have news like coming every single week. We were talking yesterday and we were like, oh my gosh, we have nothing to talk about. And then maybe an hour later, Jonathan Huberto signs a massive, massive contract to stay aflame for the next two years and he hasn't even played a game yet. What the heck? I don't know what to make of this trade now because, I mean, for anyone that follows us on TikTok, before Jonathan Huberto signed, sorry, got traded, sorry, brain fart, when he got traded to Calgary, but before he was signed, I did not assume that him or Uyghur were going to sign back. And I thought for sure that this was a Panthers win. And after Jonathan Huberto signs back, we'll talk about this pretty soon. I still think it's a Panthers win in the trade. I no longer think it's a Panthers fleece. I'm very surprised that Trey Living, same Trey Living, Trey Living was yeah. able to sign Jonathan Huberto back. Um, however, breaking this down into the contract, it was eight years by 10 and a half, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before I talk about it, maybe you tell me. Like, you think it's an overpayment? What do you think about this deal? Yeah, it is an overpay. I think it in maybe three or four years when he's in his mid-30s. Sorry, maybe, ha- I'd say halfway through this deal, he'll start really underperforming the value of the contract. I think what really makes it look bad is that the Can- the um, Panthers were able to sign Kachuk for a million less for the same term, and he's, what, five or six years younger than him? I think that makes it look way worse. But there are different things to consider. There are, diff- there are different factors at play that might have led to that, but on face value, that's what really makes it look bad. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think he's six years. I think Kachuk is 24, and I think Jonathan Huber is turning 30 he'll this be, year. Yeah, he'll be 30 at some point in the season. Yeah, like w- once again, I know a lot of people who listen to us must think that I don't like Jonathan Huberto. Like, let's not get it twisted. He's a top 20 player in the league. He is phenomenal. But with yeah. that being said, I still think this deal is an overpayment right now, and it's going to be, like you said, one of the poorer contracts in the league within five years. Like, I understand that especially in smaller markets where it's difficult to attract free agents that you need to overpay generational type players like Huberto in order to sign long-term. Like I, f- I fully understand that he's probably a top 10 offensive player in the league right now, but paying 10 and a half million, which I don't, it's over 10% of the cap. Like that's a huge chunk of the cap for a dude. That's a downright defensive liability is just mind boggling to me. And like, fine when he's putting up 110 points, you're willing to live with that. Yeah. But you're right in four to five years when he starts putting up 75, 80 and the defensive liabilities become more glaring. And then now that he has a full no move clause for the first six years, you start to wonder this deal's going to turn out to be bad. It is. And I think, I, I, I think the flames probably know that. I think there's a, there's a couple of factors at play that really made them be willing to pay this. I think, one, they got sort of embarrassed by their two best players this offseason. Johnny Goudreau waited till the last day, which is his right, to tell them, hey, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to play for a different team. Then, a week later, Kachuk says, I'm not signing here. Trade me, basically. So you got kind of you, you, you got kicked in the groin twice by two, your two best players. And I think they just said, okay, you know, we, we can't let another one get away. We have to make a statement. We have to show that we're not going to get, you know, that, that this is a desirable place. I think all those factors gave Huberto a ton of leverage and it, and it made the Flames desperate and he capitalized, which is, again, you know, something that a good agent and a good and a smart player 
recognizing the moment. He could have waited this whole year and and still scored 110 points, but he probably knew right now if they're offering me 10 and a half, I can't turn that down because even if I have a great season, how much more can I expect? I I 100% agree. I'm pretty sure, and once again, we're not Elliot Friedman, an inside analyst of the NHL, but there were rumblings that he had asked initially Florida for the same 8 by 10 and a half contract, Mm. and then it came out that Florida hadn't given him um, an offer, and the next thing that he heard from his agent was that he had been traded. So Florida definitely didn't want to pay this deal. Like, It just blows my mind that people are still thinking that Florida lost his trade. Like, Let's break it down a little bit. To swap a 29-year-old defensive liability who got mass- massively overpaid, overpaid now, massively overpaid in four to five years for a 24-year-old top three two-way winger in the league who is only getting better. All you had to do was give up Mackenzie Weger, who, by the way, probably wasn't going to sign back next year, so that doesn't even really count. All you had to give up to make that swap was a first-round pick and a prospect, and Florida didn't win that trade? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Well, it depends. I think it, we, uh, right now, I don't, I don't think Florida got better this season. Really? They lost their best, their second best defenseman and their best offensive player. Fine, that's right? fair. So, like on paper this year, and they're they're in win now mode. Yeah, they did they didn't get better, but long term, like you, like you said, they probably weren't going to be able to keep Huberto. They might not have wanted to, and they might not have been able to keep Weger because he's going to command probably six to seven at least, not more. He's so good. And it sounded like he wanted to go to Ottawa this year. Potentially, yeah. I mean, he would have been open to going home. I believe that. So in the short term. It may maybe even maybe Florida got wor- got a little worse on paper. You know they're trying to compete, but I think in the long run we're going to see that you know Kachuk's going to have an unbelievable eight years there. I don't I don't imagine him getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're saying is kind of interesting because you know what come to think of it, I do agree with you. But I think it is possible for the team to still win a trade without getting better, and I think that's what we saw here. Yeah, they. They they definitely look like they made they made a trade with the next five years in mind rather than the next one, which is probably how you should be making trades unless you're at the deadline and you're like got Sidney Crosby and Malkin and they're thirty six. For sure. I just they also don't have any draft picks either. So like if they get better, they're gonna have to get better through free agency or through I don't know who they can even trade now. They don't have assets to trade. So they kind of restricted themselves in that sense. But I guess you can't we always clamor on for teams to go for it and make big trades and they've mm-hmm. been doing that they've been keeping us entertained this florida team so i think they you know i don't know they, they're a mixed bag i've heard a lot of people say like well what's florida thinking they had a, they won the president's trophy playing this free-flowing hockey and now they go they get rid of their best one of their best defensemen, one of their best forwards and they get rid of their coach and bring in paul maurice mm-hmm. where do you stand on florida this year now you know what? This segues perfectly into what I wanted to talk about now. I think that the debacle that happened in Calgary motivated this trade so well because if I am Zito right now and I'm thinking, what am I doing in the next year? Um, what I think motivated this trade is that Zito saw two of the top players in the league leave Calgary after not really expressing an interest in wanting to leave until the offseason. And he's looking at his team and saying, well, I got two massive UFAs next year, but my team mm. is in win now mode. I need to make a run. What happens next year when Jonathan Huberdos tells me he wants to test free agency? Am I going to be able to trade him at the deadline? If I do trade him, I'll get assets, but I'll probably get fired on the spot because the team automatically is not going to win. But if I don't fire him and we don't win, we're now going to have what happened at Calgary where mm. two of their guys leave right away. So Zito says, okay, let's secure Matthew Kachuk now, yeah. sign him on term. That's and that's exactly what they did, right? They were able to effectively get a better Jonathan Huberto for a lower term and a lower AAV and lock him in. Yeah, I mean, when, when you put it that way, it 
on the forward side of the trade, I think you you probably trade Huberdo first and maybe Colston for eight years of Kachuk. And for sure, Huberdo's declining. If I mean at best that that I imagine that first round draft pick, which I think is in twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six, we don't know what the Florida Panthers are going to be by then. But I still expect them to be making the playoffs. So at at, at worst, it's like the sixteenth overall pick, and those are very hit and miss. Even though it's still pretty early in the first round, I think what something that I've thought of a lot is that. And I used to do this. I used to be like, oh, my God, a first-round pick, a first-round pick. You can't get rid of those. But how many guys – I don't know what the actual percentage is on this, but how many players in the first round beyond, like, let's say, the fifth pick, like what percentage of those actually turn out to be solid NHL players? It's probably lower than I think and probably lower than most people think. Just the first round has this sort of like – it's like this sort of like aura around it that like you can't move them because they're so valuable. But maybe they're not as valuable as we think. No, I mean, I think that first – I think – Pro sports is on a spectrum. On one side, you have the MLB where literally no first-round picks really matter that much because most of them don't end up panning out. On the other side of the spectrum, you have the NFL where first-round picks are so important because most of the team is made up by them. And I think the NHL falls somewhere in the middle, closer to the NFL, where I would say most of a roster currently constructed is within the first one to three rounds. But you always see busts happening. Like Always. Who what, was it? Uliovi? I forget what round. Uliovi, yeah. He went like... Fifth or I think he went fifth. Kachuk went seventh. That same draft, right? And then you had a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's had a good career for himself. But when he was touted as that number one over num, round, oh my number god, one overall. number one overall. Excuse me for the brain fart. He was supposed to be a generational player. And now he's a third liner, right? So yeah, it, we talked about this with the Kevin Fiala trade. I think all GMs are proponents of trading finished versions of products um, for draft picks. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of coming around to the idea of that too, because especially when you're in win now mode, I think. Florida is willing to give up to give up that future prospect to one really play for their team for like my god it might be six or seven years mm-hmm. before we even see that player depending on you know who he is and, and whatnot 100 so i think i think the i think it's possible for both teams to kind of do well under the circumstances i think considering that the flames had really like no leverage the fact that they still got a first and two very good nhl players and coach Wentz apparently is supposed to be a guy who can play in your middle six which is you know, pe- GMs love those guys. Mm-hmm. They they trade second, and first for them all the time at the deadline for a third ra- for a third line center who can win faceoffs. So I think they, I think the Flames did well under the circumstances. But I think in the long run, even a year or two down the road, I think Florida is gonna come out looking pretty good. Oh, without a doubt. But considering the circumstances, like you said, I did not think there was a chance yeah. in anywhere that Jonathan Huberto was gonna sign back in Calgary, especially because apparently he wasn't too happy with the trade. And yeah, then, um, Trey Living takes be? him out for dinner. Signs him by eight by ten and a half. You can say no. Money talks. Yeah, okay. if you give me ten point five, I'll I'll go play in none of it. Honestly, a hundred percent. But here's a question I want to ask you. I'm kind of anxious to see how Jonathan Huberto plays in the Sutter system. I mean, you talk about this a lot compared to Rick Bonus. Sorry, next to Rick Bonus, Sutter's probably the most defensive coach in the NHL. No, I think he he definitely has a reputation for that. But we saw last year. Like though that first line, they all had career years. They all they all put up forty goals. They did, but defensively, they were also they one were of all, the the best defensive lines right, in the so, league. And he and I think one of the 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 knocks against Johnny Gaudreau's whole career was that oh he doesn't play good defense, which I think was true at the time. And then last year we saw that he was one of the better two way wingers in the league. So I think he has the ability to do that. Can he make a ninth percentile def- defensive forward to a ninety fifth? But maybe not. But if you're putting him into a good system and surround him with good two-way players like Lindholm, and I guess Toffoli might be the guy who bumps up on that first line now, I could see him definitely being decent defensively and still putting up good offensive numbers. We'll have to see how they all sort of gel, which will take time. But I, 
I'm I'm a Daryl Sutter fan, so I'm a, I'm optimistic for I guess that 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 component of it. So I agree with you that I I do think his defensive numbers will increase next year, but like, do you think um his offensive numbers are gonna fall as a product of that? I don't. Yeah, they they might fall just due to regression. Like I think I don't think he's ever put up over a hundred points. So if they fall to ninety to ninety ninety five, that's still a really good player. Yeah, so that's I, fair. I don't know if it's fair to expect 110 points every year from him just because that's hard to expect from any player besides like Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. So they might fall just because he's, you know, because he's in a new system. It's going to take him some time. I think he still finds success, though. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I saw all over Twitter a lot of people clamoring about the same thing we're talking about now. Like, oh, you put one of the worst defensive forwards in a defensive-minded system. Is he going to do poorly? And Jay Fresh came out and kind of um, put that argument to bed in the sense that he, he he brought out a lot of players that had poor defensive metrics and thrived under the center mm-hmm. system guys like jeff carter and marion gabrick we know all too well yeah. in the mid um the mid 2010 decades was like those guys were going off in the playoffs They're and great. both of them were in the bottom quartile of defensive metrics so yeah like you're you're completely right i do think huberto will fit into the system it will take him some time but considering that matthew kachuk wanted out the fact that you're able to get a top 10 offensive player in the league on term regardless of how much you spent is insane to it's me it's still yeah very good under the circumstances mm-hmm. right well, um before we go i also want to talk about one more thing we didn't have this plan but um you kind of sparked my mind with something that you said where matthew kachuk came out and he said um i want to trade these are the teams that i'm willing to be traded to you we talked about this a little bit off air where rfas normally don't have too much leverage mm-hmm. with respect to number one being traded and number two being traded to where they want to be traded i think what matthew kachuk did coming out and saying these are the only teams i will sign for long term was genius mm-hmm. he basically created a no trade clause for himself exactly because he had that one year before free agency he could because he had a nine million dollar qualifying offer he's like okay i'll take that and then i'll go play for whoever the heck i want exactly but not not only that it also in the sense that he now he's not only secured the fact that he's going to be traded but he secured the fact that he's going to be traded to one of the teams that he came out and said he'd sign for right because no team is going to give up two first round picks for a guy that's going to play a year year. right but now that a team knows already that he's going to sign long term of course they're going to sell the farm for him and i wonder if this is going to start a trend now Mm because i've never seen this before if big time rfas or big time ufas with like one year left on their contract come out and say i want to be traded these are only teams i'm being traded to for I wouldn't be surprised. We see that all the time in other leagues. It was a huge... It doesn't happen exactly like this in the, in the NBA because in the NBA, they'll say one year into a four-year contract that I want to get traded circa mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. But I think we're going to see it. I think hockey players for, for a long time have never been sort of player-oriented, like the league in itself. As as fans, like you, I think, I think from a fan perspective, you don't like it because you know that the best player in your team at any moment can be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm done here. Please trade me. But I guess for if, if you're a pro player guy and you want to see the players like, you know, live the live the lives they want to live and make their money where they want to make their money, then this is a good thing. But I just hope it doesn't go as far as the NBA goes because there's just zero loyalty there. And I, I think as fans and as p- people who are fans of the sport and have been for their whole life, we value some loyalty. Like, could you imagine if, like, Matt Sandin, when we were, like, 10 years old, said, I'm leaving now? We would have been heartbroken. You just never heard that back in the day. No. Players just played where they were playing, and that's it. They knew. They kind of stayed in their lane, but I think they're they're kind of figuring out that they have more power than they think, which is dangerous if you're a GM and also dangerous if you're a fan, especially of, like, let's be, let's be real here, like, smaller market teams, mm-hmm. they always get kind of the, the raw deal when it comes to, like, big players wanting out. No, I, I completely agree with you, and I'm... 
Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see whether um, big time UFA starts saying this because we've already seen a lot of UFAs coming out and saying, no, nah, I'm going to test free agency. But we have never seen a player say, I'm testing free agency and this is where I'm signing. And I just it's think true. it's genius. I think it's They're absolutely smart. genius. From their perspective, it's like absolutely. Bo- borderline tampering on your own behalf. Yeah, <laughs> it's smart. It's smart. You like, RFAs rarely have leverage and he had a whole ton of it and he used it to get where he wanted to go. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, BetStamp. Picture this, a big Leaf game is on and you want to place a bet, but are overwhelmed by the abundance of sportsbooks that are offering you odds on the same game. Well, put your worries away by opening the BetStamp app, which will directly compare the lines across multiple sportsbooks to help you find the best odds possible. On BetStamp, you can verify the existence of your proposed bets and its corresponding odds in order to buy and sell picks with full transparency. Also thinking about making money selling your own picks? BetStamp is the place for you. With their commission-free marketplace, you can sell your picks on the app without paying a single cut. It's completely free. To learn more, visit betstamp.app/ontario using code UFR to get access to all of BetStamp's affiliates and their prices. The only way to get an edge in online sports betting is by using the BetStamp app alongside different sports books. So download it today. We'll see you on the smart side of online sports betting. So let's stick with the with the Flames because they continue to make news. Thank you, Calgary. They signed a couple of big RFAs for them. Let's start with Andrew Mangiapane. Um, maybe one of the two most Italian names in the league. The other <laughs> one also signed an, an extension, um, Mario Ferraro. We'll get to him later. Um, what are your thoughts, Mangiapane? I think Calgary here went from um, a, overall a big overpay for Jonathan Huberto to maybe one of the best, most underrated contract signings I've yeah. seen in a very, very Great long deal. time. Especially because, right, Calgary just can't sign free agents very well. Not many people want to play in Calgary unless they're from Calgary. Last year, Andrew Mangiapane, in arguably the most defensive system defensive system in the league, put up 35 goals. Yeah. Do you know that less than 30 players in the NHL scored 35 goals last year? Would you ever have thought Andrew Mangiapane was going to be one of them? Not really. He never, he never came across as a guy who could score like that. And especially because he kind of was like very... Like his 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 progress was so like one year he was like taking a step taking a step taking a step and mm-hmm. now he's a borderline star borderline a hundred percent he's a star in this league when you score thirty five goals you are an upper echelon goal scorer when we break down his overall play he's in the expected value of offense in the ninety fifth percentile and defensively he's among the top two percent of forwards in defensive metrics. Yeah. That puts you in an upper echelon of wingers that honestly, Matthew Kachuk and Brad Marchand are in. And I know a lot of people might get upset that I'm putting his name in those categories, but stats don't lie. Like we see this a lot. Of, we see this a lot with Calgary wingers. We saw it with Kachuk too, like I just said. I wonder if the system he plays in kind of beefs up those numbers. Maybe. But regardless, when you're in the 98th percentile of defensive metrics as a winger who scores 35, you are worth far more than what the three years, 5.8 that he got. Five point, I think it was 5.8. Um, yeah, under six. I can't. I don't know the exact number on it. Under six, though. Yeah, like as we continue, he is a phenomenal play driver. We He's talk good. about this again and again. I think play driving stats are probably the most important stat for a forward because they show that when offense and finishing dries up, at least he's creating play like both on and off the puck. Not only that, he did this all with playing third night, third line That's, minutes. Yeah. Last year, right? He only got to play with Toffoli, who was pretty much bad for the whole second half of the year. 
right? They, they, they stacked up on the first line. He had no teammates that he was playing with, still put up 35, playing 13 and a half minutes a night. Like, you think maybe this guy gets a chance to play on the first line with you, Bruno? He, he'll, he'll definitely have to play a bigger role. I think one, one thing I've seen online and people talking about is that, oh, he put up all those points because he was playing on the... It's kind of counterintuitive to say it. He was putting up all those points because he was playing on the third line. So he was playing against like third-pairing defensemen, not getting the hardest matchups. I think his competition percentile on Jay Fresh's charts was in under 50, I think. So people were saying, oh, yeah, look at the crappy competition he was playing. And I think there's some merit to that argument, but I think he's just a good player. He also kills penalties, so regardless of the system he plays in, I think he's just good defensively. And to get him for th- for three years, I think that lines up, and I'll talk about this a little bit, lines up perfectly with the window that they're looking at to win in. Mm-hmm. It walks him, I think it does walk him to free agency, so they might lose him. But you, got th- you guys, you have him under control for three years at a really good price. I don't think you can go wrong here for the Flames. 100%. And he's gotten better every year. I think four years ago, yeah. he scored eight goals, then went up to 17 and 18, and now 35. Like, he's trending up. The only problem with Andrew Mangiapane is that he is a very efficient scorer. That sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the problem is his shooting percentage was like 19.5% mm. last year. That can mean one of two things. He's either very clinical and has a great shot, or he's just kind of getting lucky, and he should have actually scored 25. I looked it up, too. He doesn't take very many shots, pretty below the league average. I'm wondering, like you said, once his um, quality of competition comes above the 50th percentile, if the fact that he's not like putting the puck in the net because he's not taking enough shots is going to bite him. But honestly, at three years, by yeah. 5.8, you're willing to take the gamble. Even if he does, let's say he even out a 25-goal score. Like, that's what guys get paid now to score 25 Still goals. a great contract. Right. Similarly, um, they signed Oliver Shillington to, one of, to, to a great deal. Two years, two and a half mil. I love watching this guy because he's got to be one of the fastest and most, like the most smooth, like one of the smoothest skating defensemen in the league next to Kale McCarr. And that might sound like a shock because he was maybe hidden on their second pair, third pair, but just watch this guy skate. He's so, so fast. He's so fun to to Mm -hmm. watch. And he's developed into a pretty damn reliable top four defenseman. Locked him up for two years. Again, right in line with their window. And thing is, he's going to play with one of Rasmus Anderson, Brandon Tanev, or Mackenzie Weger. He's going to be paired with a great defenseman, and that pairing, if it's your first or your second pairing, it's going to be a great pairing. I, I just really love this guy. Couldn't agree more. I think Cal Green is this type of player. They really, like like you said, you just named all those defensemen. They don't really have a play-driving offensive defenseman in their system. It's true. He's right? going to be the guy. Right? There's Zadorov, Uyghur, Hannafin, Tanev, like you said, and now oh, Anderson's wait. decent at it, but I think Shillington might be a step above him in that regard. For sure, and especially last year when I think he got paired with... It's Chris Tanev, right? Not Brandon? Yeah, Chris. It's Chris Tanev, who's probably one of the more premier defensive defensemen yeah. in the NHL. That's just the perfect defensive pairing for these two. And I know he's probably not going to play power play one because I'm pretty sure Anderson has that locked yeah. up. But having Oliver Shillington, or I've never pronounced his name Shillington. properly. Shillington, excuse me. Um, if you listen to us, you're going to hear me pronounce a lot of names <laughs> improperly. I'm sorry. Um, having him as a second pairing um, defenseman on the second power play just adds a lot of depth to that power play, especially yeah. on a team last year that really relied on that first line power play. Maybe he's able to um, allow the second line to do a little bit more damage. Yeah. I think just wrapping up on Calgary, we talked about you know how that Huberto contract might not look good. But for the next two years, we know it's going to look good. And the mm-hmm. next two years is 100% their window to win. Because after the 2023-24 season, which is the season after the one coming, Lindholm, Toffoli, Hannafin, Tanev, Shillington, Dubé, and Backland are all out of contract. Wow. And I don't see how they keep... Maybe they may be able to keep half of them because they're all going to 
presumably get raises, especially Lindholm was making under five right now. Maybe one of the not talked about as one of the best contracts in the league, but it's one of them without a doubt. Easily an eight million dollar player. Right. Easily, easily. So they gotta they gotta try and make something happen these next two years because after that it seems like a pretty good chunk of their core might be on their way out. So you think this is why they, they gave Manjapani and, and Shillington these short term deals to match up with that window? Yeah, but I mean the cap is yeah, that cap hasn't gone up and they know, yeah, I mean we have like let's lock these guys up for the years where we're gonna keep our best players and kick the can down the road. Because honestly if they don't win these next two years, Trey Leaving is probably out anyway. Because he's been there for a long time. Yeah, and it's probably not his fault because his team's constructed well and he's honestly at the mercy of the market. And he did pretty well considering yeah. the fact that his two generational players on his team wanted out. Yeah. I'm just so surprised that Shillington didn't take more money. Like, it seems like he's far better, um, good enough to um, to command more than two years at two and a half million. Yeah, I, I'm surprised it was that low too. I mean, I guess he, is an R- he was an RFA, so maybe that's sort of where the leverage comes into play. But good deal for Calgary either way. Let's um let's st- let's stick in Alberta actually because Edmonton finally signed <laughs> Taylor Yamamoto. Are we going to the team that almost put them into a rebuild? They did put them into a rebuild. They yeah they did. We won't talk about that for the sake of Flames fans after we just hyped your team up a little bit. Two years, three point one mil for Yamamoto. Can, what do you, what do you think? Because I w- this was a confusing player for me, but I'll let you talk first. You took the words right out of my mouth. On my notes here, I have one word. The word is puzzling, to yeah. say the least. Like, why spend a combined $6 million on Pujarvi and Kyler Yamamoto when this decor is just so bad? And when you already have an insane amount of forward depth and one now, you're like $6 million over the cap. I, I don't understand. Yeah. I So, fr- from that perspective, in terms of roster construction... That makes a lot of sense. Like you, maybe there was a way for you to trade one of their rights for a defenseman because mm-hmm. it's clear that defense def- defensively is where they need to direct their focus. Um, I'm just confused about this player. Me too. I thought he was better than the stats suggest. He's that pretty he is. average. He seems very average. I think a lot of the commentary of Edmonton or commentary that you just hear is that he's this gritty player who forechecks hard. He's got some skill. O- he was almost he's almost been described as a Zach Hyman with more skill at that age. Mm-hmm. Guy guy who can score, guy who's gonna be a pest, get in the corners and do the things. But like we like like I alluded to, the stats don't really point to him being that. I feel like he's almost is this uh, oh is overrated a right word to use for him or is, is maybe like miss we've just been misled as fans as the type of player that he is. I think overrated is the right word. He's what in he's in the thirty sixth percentile of expected value of offense and sub fortieth percentile of defense. Not only that, I, I looked at his play driving stats because when you described him as like a very oh, gritty uh, checker, like there's very little play driving. Does here. nothing. Yeah, the, like his uh, his zone entries and exits are like very very poor. And when you compare him to a guy like um, Jesse Puyarvi who's like one of the better play drivers on that team, it really blows my mind why Oilers fans love Yamamoto and talk so much smack about Puyarvi. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird. Like n- Narratives play a huge role Like with, with fans. I, like, I, I think when Yamamoto came in, he he had a, a pretty good start and he was doing the things that we described and, and maybe that reputation has just stuck with him. Like, reputations stick around. Like pe- People think that certain players are great two-way or great this great that and like they're in reality they're just not i think one of the one of the names that stick out to me the most that a lot of people think like dubois who is one of my least favorite players in the league so i've got the opportunity to talk poorly about him i will they think he's like all oh, this great big six foot four two way def- two way forward he's got to be one of the worst centermen in the league defensively yeah, he's, he's just not, not good but the fact that he's big and canadian automatically you get slapped with a two way f- skate to a two way forward thing it's just narratives are maybe one of the most they, they play such a big factor in hockey compared to other sports, in my opinion. Very true. Very true. Um, 
I, th- I mean, that sounds a lot like the other first-line center that plays for the Winnipeg Jets as well. Yeah, Mark, Mark, oh my gosh. Right? Y- yeah, they think that they're, they're branded as the same player and they're the same player in, the ba- in a bad way. Moving back to this Yamamoto yeah. deal, I just I don't understand. Like I said, I don't want to repeat myself, but you had no money and you spent it on a depth guy who just doesn't push play, uh, sorry, push play at all. And it's even like it, it just doesn't make sense to me because now once again, surprise, surprise, the Edmonton Oilers have no cap space. I looked on capfriendly.com. There's in the hole by six million. Wow. They definitely need to move a depth forward and a bad defenseman because they have too many of both of them. Hmm. And they just signed another depth defenseman. Like the only contracts that come to mind here that are able to be moved are Warren Fagelli. I think I said that name right. Seems to be the only option. Sorry, Fogel. Fogel. Sorry, Fogel. He makes 2.75 for the next two years, and then maybe one other of Barry and CeCe, who make 4.5 and 3.2 respectively. Those are the only ways that I can see them meeting cap compliance and not destroying their roster. But, you know, like, is a team going to have to take a first-round pick in order to take the CeCe or Barry contract? Because they're bad. Yeah, they did really. Yeah, they're they're in a tough spot, and I don't understand. Ken Holland spends his cap space quicker than any GM I've seen. He came out into this season; we was gonna have surprisingly a lot of cap space because he got rid of Koskinen, and well, they didn't get rid of the deals expired. Koskinen, Smith, well, Smith's on TIR, and then Duncan Keith retired, which which freed them a ton of cap space. They had over ten million in cap space, which is rare nowadays. Then he just went, he spent it, spent it so quickly, and now they're in a difficult spot, and he has no leverage. You know what one contract is killing the Edmonton Oilers more than any other one? Can you guess it? Connor McDavid. No, the Connor <laughs> McDavid. <laughs> Highest paid player in the league. I don't know. The contract that's killing the Edmonton Edmonton Oilers is Darnell Nurse, and it's not even close. Yeah, it makes these because it's yeah, it's kicking only this year, right? Nine point what? That's a hot topic, but like Darnell Nurse gets paid nine point two five million. That's a lot. And let me show you his defensive stats really quickly. He's in the fifth percentile of defensive metrics among defensemen in the NHL. Granted, he's in the top 4% of offensive production yeah. among defensemen. But like, if there's any, any team that you would think a player is so offensively gifted and so defensively poor, you would think it's the Edmonton Oilers. And you would think the Edmonton Oilers need to stay away from this type of player because they're already so heavily skewed to winning games 7-6 or losing them 7-6. And now when you go and tie up this much of the cap on a guy making $9.25 I don't understand. And when I look back and check his player cards at the time that this deal was signed, he was also so poor defensively. I don't understand what was going through that GM's head. I don't understand. I think you got to pay a tax. Like like they do in Calgary? Is that what you mean? Like I said, yeah, you got to pay a tax to keep guys around. And let's be real. Like, the, the st- like guys, defensemen in particular, who put up a lot of points. Honestly, both forwards and defensemen. If you're a player and you put up a lot of points for your position, you will get paid. Regardless of that, if that's the way it should be or not. That's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Always. You always see it. We just saw with Huberto. He's a great offense. He's a great offensively got a huge contract same here great offensively got a huge contract i think where where they go wrong is that they don't surround him with good defensive players if he's playing with cody caesar tyson barry you basically have two sieves playing defense get, together get exposed yeah and so if you're going to spend that type of money which you know you want guys like this they don't grow on trees surround him with players who are going to like allow him to really flourish offensively but then also not make him be the offensive liability if you have a, a good partnership going like that's something that we see with um, like guys like Kale McCarr, who is a good defenseman, but you see when like you have these guys who are literally one-way defensemen, mm-hmm. just put them with a guy who's gonna stay at home and 
at least make him look somewhat respectable defensively. I that's don't know. that's why I thought for sure they were gonna take that three million that they didn't st- that they hadn't spent on Yamamoto yet and go out and get a big time defensive defenseman. And yeah. it even like like this contract kills Edmonton so much more because they have a guy who's exactly like Darnell Nurse making league minimum almost in Evan Bouchard. Yeah, right. He's good. He's unbelievable, but he's also phenomenal offensively and terrible defensively. Yeah. And this isn't me hating on Darnell Nurse. He's one of the best Canadian defenseman in the league right now he's a phenomenal overall defenseman yeah. not saying that he's bad i'm saying that the edmonton oilers need to stay away from these types of players and they keep going out and signing them yeah. i don't get it one I, don't, is okay. I don't get it like one's okay yeah. you have a darn on nurse you every team in the league takes that but you don't you don't want five of them and yeah, they do for sure have five of them all right well we can talk about the oilers all day and we're definitely not going to stop talking about them over the off season but we have a couple of of rfas to, to get to we will summarize them pretty quickly just because they maybe weren't the most sexy signings out there but Jesper Bratt I think this one's actually important to take notice of one year 5.45 million he's maybe he's, he's one of the more underrated players in the east I'd say maybe in the league I don't know it depends how you kind of describe underrated players but he's get quite a coming out party this year 73 points in 76 games um, top to top 10 percent of players this past season in sort of shots and chance creation high danger passing zone entries rush offense you name it offensively he's He's been fantastic this past year. And something about the New, New Jersey Devils that I saw a lot of people saying is, why are you squeezing him and giving him a one-year deal? Because he has a chance to like to really like make you look like fools. If he goes off and has another season where he puts up a point in a game, maybe puts up 30-something goals, you're going to have to pay him now. I'm also surprised he didn't take a bigger deal now with longer term because the, the season he had this year was unbelievable. Yeah. And did he play with Jack Hughes? I, I don't really know. I, I wasn't, I'm not familiar with kind of how they had their roster constructed, but... I'm surprised too. I wonder if maybe he thought he, he. I wonder if the team offered him a long year, long term deal at at a number he didn't like, and he's like, "No, I'm gonna take one year, and then I'm gonna shove it in your face, and maybe, you're gonna have to pay me." And, and maybe if he saw the way that Jack Hughes played last year, and he thinks he's gonna get to yeah. play full eighty two games with he him, might. maybe the guy can pop off and exactly. score forty. Who knows? I loved um, Jesper Bratt last year, especially because I had him on fantasy for a while. He seemed to score every other game. You seemed to yeah. hear him both on and off the puck. Like, at risk of sounding very broad in general, here he is a he's a complete player. He's very good, very good. And on a team like New Jersey, where they they need guys who are going to contribute offensively because they have a trouble they have trouble attracting um, forward talent. Like we saw with Goodrow this offseason, I think he if he takes another step, that that's a, a real real good player. He's gonna if he's gonna be on the first line with Palad and one of Hishir Hughes. It's gonna be a good line if they all kind of play to their abilities. Yep. Last one I alluded to him, most Italian name in the league, Mario Ferraro. Love it. Um, this is a this is a quick contract to go over, honestly, because. He played in, oh God, one of the worst teams in the league, and it made his stats look really, really bad. I think it's definitely important to take stats with a grain of salt when there's like an extra, a, a average player playing on a really, really good team, and they beef up, or there's a you know a decent player playing on a really, really bad team. I think that that's kind of what we see here. He was kind of like if you look at a chart really quickly and you see red, you know that's not good. You see blue or green, you think that's good. His chart was very, very red. But the one blue part was competition because he was on San Jose's top pair getting shelled every game. So I think lock him into four years. Hopefully, as the Sharks get better, he he plays on a better team. He continues to develop. He's only young. He's our age. He's 24. I think I don't, I don't think there's much to say about this deal other than that he's a pretty solid player and he eats pucks. 
What I will say is that at, at risk of trying to plug myself, I'm not saying I was a good hockey player. I'm nowhere on this level than Mario Ferraro, but I did play with Mario for That's four years. Name drop. Right? And what I will say is that he is, without a doubt, the hardest working player I have ever played with. And granted, we were 15 when we played together. Still. First guy into practice, last guy out, was on the ice eight days a week, like it's working 25-8. Yeah. This guy worked harder than ed- anybody that I know. And what I can imagine now is that guy's in the gym every day. He's going to work to be worth this contract. I love this signing, and I know a lot of San Jose Sharks love this guy, and I know a lot of Twitter analysts for some reason don't love him because they thought he was massively overpaid because they're looking at the stats that you were looking at. I think you did a very good job in explaining that um, because his quality of competition was so high, I think those stats are relatively good because the team he plays on is terrible. They're really bad. I wonder if he's like a guy that they can trade in a couple of years because if he starts to play where we kind of know he can play, 3.25 for a top four defenseman is pretty solid. I wonder if that's a trade chip that they're going to have down the road. But nonetheless, that's kind of it for our signings. I want to let Ange kind of get on a little uh, on a little tangent because I know he has a soft spot for this team, but this team's kind of made themselves look a little bit sus these past couple of weeks or this past, uh, honestly, past couple of years. I'll just tee you up here. Max Pacioretty had a little uh, an interview where he said some things about Vegas that maybe we were all thinking and nobody said yet, but... Let's kind of go over what he said and give your thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna. Ex- I'm just gonna say the quotes verbatim. Yeah. What what he said, so that we can all get a context of this. For anyone who doesn't know, Max Pacioretty very recently got traded out of Vegas to Carolina. Hopped on a podcast like days after he got traded and had all of this to say about Vegas. He said, when I first got to Vegas, it was weird because there was like no accountability. I'm not talking about in the team. I'm talking about like ever. You couldn't feel pressure coming from anyone else, from the coach to the management. It was kind of a relief when I got there because I found myself being like, I have to reel in and hold myself to a higher standard. But he, he starts talking about how if he was in Montreal, if they had a season like they had last year, the city would be in riots. Mm-hmm. They would be in riots. And this is what he had to say about what Vegas, um, what, what the city and management w- within the Vegas Golden Knights had to say about the season that happened last year, which, by the way, they should have made the playoffs and had a meltdown in the last 10 games of the season. He said, I mentioned that at the end of the year, no one is really held accountable. If we had a bad year like this, the city would be half on fire in Montreal. Here in Vegas, it's 80 degrees. It's sunny. We're getting our car wash, getting our organic food, and going back to play golf. It's kind of like we have to police ourselves here because no one else is going to do it. That's that's shocking. It's shocking because A, it's going on, but B, it's so bad that a player felt the need to come out and talk about it. And the guy who's not even there anymore. That's what I mean. I just... I don't understand. Vegas was given an absolute gift, a gift yeah. in that expansion draft, and they found a way to mess it all up. That team mm-hmm. had immediate success. They went all the way to the Stanley Cup final in what? Just their first year, yeah. made the playoffs three more times, back-to-back Western Conference finals, got a 40-goal score in Carlson out of the expansion draft, got a Vesna winner in Fleury out of the draft, one of the premier places to attract free agents, getting Stone, Eichel, Petrangelo on relatively good deals, minus the Petrangelo one, which isn't bad now, but it will be bad. And now they're firing coaches every two seconds. Players literally have come out and say they don't want to play there. Like the Athletic confirmed a quote that said a large number of players around the league have taken notice of how the Golden Knights conduct business and refuse to play for them. According to several NHL execs, most believe that Vegas is disrespectful to their own and take the motto, it's a business to an absurd level. This organization has messed up a gift. Yeah. The, the, the word that I would use to describe at least the way the way they operate is like 
they're greedy mm -hmm. because they got a little taste of that success and maybe they thought oh, this is easy let's just trade first second surge for tatar we don't like tatar anymore okay trading for patretti we don't like patretti anymore okay get rid of him for nothing so we can meet the cap floor like they're always just looking looking for that next best thing that's something shiny it's almost like they're like little kids and they want just the, the new toy to play with and they they definitely took it too far because they're i think they're like they're this may be harsh i don't know, I think they're a lock for the playoffs Really, a lock? I don't think they're a lock. I think they're going to make it. I don't know if they're going to be a lock for the playoffs. Because of they, how they're constructed or because of what's going on? I think all of the above. Well, they, they lost like Pacioretty, who, who on his day is a 40-goal scorer. Mm -hmm. And who's going to replace him on that first line? Is Riley Smith a first-line winger? I don't know. I mean, he might be with Eichel and Stone, but just because those guys are really, really good. But, yeah, they definitely operate in, in a way that that is not sustainable. We've seen that because like you said, they had a gift. They had all these assets. They had all these good players. They traded away all their first round picks. Uh, they, they're definitely taking that. I think that last line that you read, they're taking, it's a business to the absurd, le to like an absurd level is the best way to put it. And now it's coming back. It's come back to bite them now. For sure. I think a lot of young hockey fans, including myself that had never seen an expansion team while they were watching hockey, really got a bad taste of what an expansion team should be like. An mm. expansion team should not be making the cup final, the no. playoffs, and back-to-back -back Stanley Cup um, Western Conference finals in one year. They should be doing what the Seattle Kraken have but done this year. that's how it works. Don't understand how they were given this gift and messed it up. And you talked about this so well. I mean, at risk of um, sounding like a very general business student, they just buy high and sell low. It's like the worst form of asset it's management terrible. that's possible. Worst asset management in the league. At the time that that Tatar trade was made for that first, second, and third, oh. I was boggled, and he wasn't even good for them. He, they scratched them in those playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. And like you said, you know what? I kind of agree. I don't know if Vegas is a lock next year for the playoffs. It's such a wild card. On one hand, they have one of the best teams in the league on paper. Even after losing Pacioretty, I still think they're one of the better teams they're, on paper. They're good. No holes offensively, defensively. If Leonard's healthy, I still think he's a top 10 goalie in the league. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, also, they're in a bad division. The problem is they're just so dysfunctional. Very. I think the one or two benefits um, that are coming uh, on Vegas' side here is that, number one, they're bringing in a coach who was arguably in the most, um, sorry, on a team that held the players to the most accountability possible in um, in Boston yes, with correct, Bruce Cassidy. Correct. So maybe he will be a guy to bring some accountability. And second of all, the team is by no means young. They're a very veteran mm. core with a lot of guys who have won cups. So if there is any team to provide some like internal accountability, it would be these guys. Yep. I can only imagine, though, when they have to sell the farm and they're all young new players, if this like culture of toxicity remains, that organization is just never going to develop players. Yeah, you have you have to hope that's a great point once this sort of generation of knights is gone like it's going to be sooner than later then you have to hope that they can uh, sort of establish some culture and that comes up from the top down you can't rely on the players to form it because if they form it once they're gone it's no longer there so yeah, they do have to figure that out i think they gotta i think they gotta <laughs> kind of have look, look at themselves in the mirror as an organization and figure out how they can improve because they might be on a pretty big crash course like you said so that's you know a little little bit about Vegas. We have, you know, we we kind of <laughs> took a took a time here to go on on our little our little rant about things that we don't like in the league. But we're gonna talk a little bit about now with something that's one of our favorites in the league, particularly um, one of the best content creators on TikTok in the hockey space. I'm sure many of you have heard him, Coach Chippy. We had the pleasure of having him on for a short interview. We talked so honestly a lot about himself, a lot about where he got his inspiration from, and then at the end treats us to some impressions that I think you're going to love. So we'll throw it over to Chippy now, and then we'll meet you on the other side with some more hockey talk.
So we're really excited to welcome Coach Chip to the podcast today. So our listeners you know, might know him from TikTok. He's got a pretty big following there for his hilarious skips featuring, you know, Coach Chippy Steels and, of course, some of our favorite Toronto Maple Leafs players. Conversations with Poppy Dubis, Mitchie. We might hear a little bit of those today. Um, Coach Chip, thanks for taking the time to come on today. We appreciate it. Hell yeah, boys. Let's fucking go. Coach <laughs> Chip in the house. It's Coach Chip in the house. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, all right so coach chip we're uh i'm sure we all know you as a as a hilarious guy on tiktok but we're we're a little interested before we start and get into these skits we want to know a little bit more about you like how did you get your start like we're really interested to know like how you started doing tiktoks and where like coach chip and steels were motivated hell yeah okay this one this is actually a good story like for me i actually i went to business school i went to laurier for four years okay and then last april i graduated and I was working at an accounting firm and I absolutely just, it wasn't for, it wasn't for me. I'm a really creative person and I ended up just not liking it at all. The environment just didn't suit me. And then I decided to just walk away from that. And I think last April, it was like a crypto bull run. So my buddy started telling me about crypto and I was super interested in it. So I started learning as much as I could about it, mm -hmm. ended up investing some money and then once I did that, I was like, okay, I actually probably should learn a little bit more because I put some money in, didn't do a lot of research. But at that point, it was like, you can put some money in and any, any kind of crypto was pumping at that point. So it was like, put your money in. And I was like, holy shit, I'm never going to have to work again kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then I think it was like, and then I think it was like May, May, all of a sudden Bitcoin crashed from like 67K to like 30K. And I was like, okay, wow um so i started so i started instead of like getting out of the space i learned more and more about it and then that's kind of when i started wanting to create some content so i was like oh well, let me start making some like crypto related videos like as i learn this i could go you know teach other people and i i was always loved just like creating content me and my buddy in grade nine we wanted to be youtubers we were watching like nelk boys we were mm -hmm. watching all that and i was like hey this is super cool like i can make something put it out to the world to see and take it however they want to take it so that was kind of how i got started just with creating content and then crypto kind of i started getting into nfts like pretty heavily um so i had, i have an account called chips and crypto where i just was like firing content every single day just having fun with it and then i created another account because i really love to snowboard so me and my buddies would go out last winter like everything was like crazy with you know everything going on don't even like really talk about it but it was like snowboarding was like an out, was snowboarding was like an outlet for me. Mm -hmm, so yeah. that was something I'm super passionate about. And I found I found myself like on YouTube watching other people snowboard. So I was like, why don't I just go snowboard, video it, and other people can watch me snowboard kind of thing. That's kind of like what was my like thought process behind it was why don't I just be a creator instead of just consuming the content? So that was like where my mindset really shifted into wanting to be a creator instead of a consumer. Um, especially with like TikTok. Like you could go on TikTok. You could just scroll, 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 scroll for hours on end. And for me, I'd rather be a creator on the app. So I really want to encourage people just to, you know, become creators, put themselves out there. Because when you're creating, you're having a lot more fun than when you're consuming the content. Like that's something yeah. I've really realized. Mm -hmm. And with, and so I kind of took that as like an aim. If I can like, um, I'm super passionate about it. And if I can inspire and encourage other people to go create, that's all I really want to do. Um, so that was like around January, I really started just like creating the content. I was creating snowboard content, having a lot of fun with it, just doing it for fun. And then I don't know, something triggered me. I started doing like 
skits. I think I started doing university skits, like University Kid. Um, I don't even know what, or like, I was like University 101 tips or something like that. And I was like, just having fun with it, like giving people tips on how to get through university, how to study. Um, and I started doing little skits back and forth. And I was like, okay, this is kind of like picking up a little bit. It was getting a little more traction than my other videos because I put mm-hmm. a little more effort in it. It was a lot more niche. And that's what I realized, like on TikTok, you have to go really like pick something and then go with it. So like pick a niche, whether it's like psychology, like I was doing that for a little bit, like psychology tips. I was reading a lot of books and I would be like, oh, I don't know where I'm going off. And I was doing like psychology kind of one-on-one tips. I had a lot of fun with it. And then I don't know, I think that one day I ended up doing like just like a triple A coaches be like or something. And that video <laughs> kind of went crazy. And then, and then I was kind of like, ever since I've just been creating content. I can talk forever. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm a talker. So like, I'll let you guys get away. Oh, it's here. good. The, the more the better. <laughs> So you went from Hell crypto yeah. to snowboarding to university, and then you you touched on hockey. But where where specifically did like the impressions come from of like of of Austin Matthews of coach of Coach Chippy of Steels? Like where did that yeah. kind of okay. come into play? Hell yeah! So like I I did the the AAA coaches, and then I, I growing up I played hockey. So okay. like I just know what all these hockey players are thinking. Like I know like, <laughs> you, you, like, like like you know what I mean? Like I know the perspectives. Like I know that I know it from the dad's perspective. Like crazy hockey dads. Like after yes. a game, like taking it way too serious. And then I know like the coaches taking it too serious. And then I know the players like at a tournament. Like, boys, do we even really want? Do we even want to win this game? Like, do we want to win this? Like, we could go home Saturday. We could play some mini sticks and have a night with the boys and not play Saturday, you know, or Sunday. So it was like, I think that was kind of. I was like, okay, I I kind of know all these different like. Like I just know, I just know the hockey space really well. And I was kind of like, I want to kind of start building a brand in this space. Cause I understand it. I can connect with the audience. And when you're building a brand, you want to, you know, connect with people. You want to connect them on an emotional level. And like, if you can make people laugh, you can make people cry. You can really like affect them. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, read a lot about psychology, um, loved hockey, grew up playing it. And then I kind of stopped playing. Like, honestly, I don't, I don't really, I didn't really watch a ton of hockey. Like when I was at school or anything like that stop really playing i played a little intramural hockey but yeah um but growing up i was on i was on skates at skates at like the age of two mm-hmm. um started yeah like playing hockey when i was like yeah super young super young age played it all the way up some of my buddies are playing in the nhl now which is super cool um i got i played on a team with alex formington so i played for barry growing up oh, barry triple wow. a and we had a really good team like we, our age group was just really good like we just had a ton of really good players i think at, at one point we were like number two in ontario like yeah, we were like super good. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where um, like the hockey impression started. Was just like grew up playing, um, and then and then I love the Leafs, right? So I love the Leafs, and like Poppy Matthews is my favorite player. So like, <laughs> so then like I just like Poppy's got so much mojo, man. Like this guy is just like he walks into the rink, like this guy's scoring sixty goals, like he can't be stopped. So I'm like, like what is what is this? Like I want to like kind of like get in the get in the mind of like what Matthews is gonna be thinking, like. With 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 Mitchie after the game, like buddy, I just scored four another four goals. Like, what are you talking about? Like, are these guys like what? I, like, I'm torching this league. It's another league. I'm just gonna tear up. So I kind of I kind of was like, okay, like what like what is Matthews thinking? Like really, you know what I mean? Like he's probably not overthinking it out there. He's just having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Same with Mitchie, like fucking the paychecks. Like you know what I mean? The boys are getting paid. They're playing in the show. Like what's going on in their mind? Like they're probably just chilling and like kind of just like the mojo aspect of it was like hey these guys got fucking mojo man like <laughs> and mojo kind of is just like it's just like confidence like self-belief like yeah. you know like if you're just scoring 60 goals you can't be overthinking it like you can't be going into the game like 
I need to score tonight. No, it's just like it's poppy. Like I'm just gonna score tonight. You it's know gonna what I mean? ha- like, It's gonna happen. I gotta be honest with you. That video um that you posted, I think it was a few days ago where um it, it was the the hockey dad talking to his his kid coming home i played triple a too and i okay i love my dad uh, we we owe everything to our hockey dads but i felt that on a spiritual level especially when you were like you're like <laughs> all the time and money the effort the sticks and that's the performance that you put up we're gonna have a serious <laughs> talk and that's when you know too like right away oh man it's gonna it's not gonna be a fun car ride home but this uh, kind of leads into my next question. That was my favorite video that that you've done. I'm interested to know what video that you had the most fun doing and that you posted on TikTok. Honestly, like, so like what, when I do these, they're all like, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, improv. Mm-hmm. So like in grade nine, I took an, like a drama class and it, it was like the improv section of that course was like super fun. Like me and my buddies, like we would just like, you're given a, like a scene or a scenario and then you just have to like play it out. Like, and it's, you have to be really present, like, when, when you're, when you're acting or whatever, like, you have to, like, not be acting, like, I'm acting right now, like, I realize, like, when I walk outside, like, I'm putting on, like, an act, like, we're all acting always, mm-hmm. so, like, when I do the, like, the, um, like, the improv, it's just, like, I have to just like, get into, I have to, like, just, like, kick into the character and, like, completely embody the character, like, I'm actually talking to someone over there, like, like, what would this character be saying, like, so, I don't know, I have, I have fun making the, um, what was my favorite like my favorite one honestly all of them are pretty fun like like i love it when i just like it's the facial expressions when i'm doing different facial expressions like <laughs> different different tones of voice and i'm like and i realized a lot a lot of comedy is getting like you're getting your hands and like body like getting your body like movements going so like the ones where i'm like i'm actually using my hands and i'm like doing like i'm pointing and um i probably my favorites like when i actually set up the camera instead of just holding it in my hand and like talking like the ones where I'm moving, like my eyes are rolling, just like doing different facial expressions. Um, so I've been studying a lot of like comedians, like Sebastian Maniscalco. You got to watch his unreal. Like, Netflix. I've, so good. I've seen unreal. everyone. I've like, seen everyone. They're unreal, man. Like I like, and what he does, what he does, he, he goes and lives his life. And then he kind of just like makes light of situations that happen. Like if you just go, you're going to end up seeing something happen. You're you're not even gonna believe what just I just saw. Like, you know, what I mean? like you're not even gonna believe this. This guy's walking on the road with, like, you know, what I mean? like that's what he does. Like, he, he takes situations and then he like, like human beings, we just do like stupid stuff all the time. Like, we're just like you'll 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 just see stuff happen. You're like that's comedy. So like, starting to like flip the way I look at situations and just try to like make fun of them and like laugh. Like, I don't want to take. At one point in my life, I was taking life way too seriously. Like. I think we've all like, I don't know, been through ups and downs, but mm-hmm. when you, when you go through those low moments, like, I think you learn a lot about yourself. So for the past, like, yeah, four years, I've had to, you know, I've done a lot of just like internal work, just like working on myself, like um, building up the confidence, kind of understanding what we're doing here, um, who we are, what we enjoy, what our passions are. Um, and for me, it was, it was, I love making people laugh. So if I can, you know, wake up and make one person laugh today like i've won the day like that's kind of how i realized like cool kind of my what my kind of purpose is to just like make people laugh try to that's the only thing i could i feel like i can really do to like you know help someone on a daily basis just like you know make them smile like or listen so uh, like either make someone smile or listen to someone and listening is something i've definitely been working on um, because yeah that's how you build connections with people right you get to know them you ask questions so right now i'm doing all the talking but 
I, I have been trying uh-huh. to listen a lot more. I was um I was gonna say before Steph asked you the next question. I remember my mom sent me a, a TikTok a few days ago about you, and I told her I'm like this guy kind of sounds like Sebastian Maniscalco, where he goes like run it through the garden or like what are yeah, you doing? Yeah, exactly. That was, <laughs> that's that is that's exactly it's, it. Yeah. Like just inspiration from Sebastian for sure. So you you talked a little bit about kind of what you see your purpose is on the app and sort of in life, and I think that segues perfectly to the next question. Like where do you see or where do you hope that this takes you like where do you see kind of this project taking you let's say the next five ten years or however long you think the vision oh is. yeah it's a great question um for me like i so i started uh kind of building out this uh, style and flow like like movement i don't want like it's like a brand but like i want it to be more of like a movement mm-hmm. so like i've been starting to go on like tiktok lives and that's where like i notice i can really like, connect with like uh the people that are like tuning in the videos like um i just want to like get people creating so like like right now like i got the style and flow challenge where it's like just you know go set up set up a hockey account set up a golf account just go start creating on the app like if i can like inspire these kids to instead of consume on this app go create because when you're creating you're, you're enjoying right like you're in the space you're um you're in the world you're in the real world like when i when i'm videoing i'm not scrolling on the on the app like i'm just I'm there, I'm present. So like when I'm on the snowboard hill, like I'm videoing, I'm actually living my life, recording it, documenting it, and then putting it out there. Cause you can, you know, you can build up a brand. You can do that by just being able to put yourself out there. So it's building the confidence up. Yeah. Like you guys know, like you're putting yourself out there, you're, you're posting yourself. Like you can't worry what other people are thinking about you. Mm-hmm. So I spent, I spent too many, I gotta turn this alarm off. Sorry, boys. One sec. There we go. So I spent, there we go. I'm back. Yeah, I spent too many like days just worrying what other people kind of thought. And it was like, why like why didn't I start this in grade nine? Well, it's because I was just like, you know, I was worried what people would think. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be, you know, getting judged or whatever. And then kind of a life lesson I realized like people only judge others because they judge themselves. So if if someone treats you wrong, um, it's because they're treating themselves that way. So people only like people treat others the way they treat themselves. So if someone's treating you like crap, it's probably because they're treating themselves like crap. So that's kind of how I, I, what I realized was like, why am I worried what anyone thinks? Like they're either going to support it or they're just going to scroll by it. They're going to watch it for one second and forget about me. So yeah. it's like, all right, let me just throw this out here, um, post this and kind of run with it. And so it kind of took off a little bit and I was like, okay, let me double down. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm posting four a day. I was like, <laughs> and I want, at, one point, at one point, I think I posted like 15 TikToks in a day. Like it Holy. was like, I want this. I was like, I want this. Like, yeah if I'm posting the most in this space, like I'm, I'm going to take over. Like if I just keep posting, 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 like, and I was having fun making them. I was just, I just get in a flow state. Like mm-hmm. I literally sit down, turn the camera. I'll, I'll see a comment. Do coach chippy at the rink after a five, nothing loss. Okay. Boom. Do coach chippy. And I would film like fucking 15 of them, like in a row, just boom, 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 boom. And I have like 500 in my drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And then it's like, I was learning, it was learning the TikTok algorithm though. Cause like, like at one point I'd, I'd post anything and it was just boom, 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 boom. And then sometimes it heats, it cools down a little bit. Sometimes the <laughs> algorithm's like, what's going on? Like, what's going on? It's the same guy. It's Coach Chip. What's going on? So it was like, I don't want to be like become a slave to the algorithm. So it's like now I, I'm just creating it for fun. And I'm working now like on a course. Like I really want to like teach other people how to kind of do like build a personal brand. I want to, I want to do motivational speaking. Like that's something like where I want to take it over the next like 10 years is like, as I build my confidence up to just, I want to go up on stage. I want to be a comedian. Like 
that's kind of like that's going to take a lot of just growth and like build, build that confidence up to be able to go command a stage right like i think that's something i would love to do is like just be a comedian like making people laugh for a living like come on like that's cool that's a cool and, sh- and shout out austin alexander and like those boys yeah like, i was yeah. watching them and like i was like hey like i love that like i took a lot of inspiration from them for sure for sure so we that we you know we were asking a little bit about you got a little serious at times and we appreciate you know you're being honest and stuff now we would we'd be remiss not to you know hear coach chippy at his best and some some skits or some conversation so how will we rip a couple of those before we hop off oh yeah coach chip coach, coach chip's chip. coming out <laughs> okay chip's here baby let's hear it so how would coach chippy give a pregame speech to steely and the triple a boys before they play a double a team in uh in an exhibition game all right here we go all right yeah. <laughs> all right boys big game tonight big game tonight um let me remind you guys, we are AAA. Um, my, my persona, everything about me is on the line tonight. I took this because I was like, we are going to steamroll these kids. If we don't get it done tonight, we got the cameras out. I'm bringing the studio. I got the studio out. I'm expecting Steely. Hey, Steely, I'm looking over at you. If I don't see six or seven out of you tonight, you're supposed to be going number one. And Kevy, I, I see you laughing over there, Kevy. Kevy, I see you laughing over there. Like, stop smirking. Boys, I know it's going to be – it's going to be dicey for this other team. Don't take it lightly. Um, we're going to go out first period. What are we going to do? That's what we're, Don't even go to the first period. What are we going to do in warm-ups? All right, the video, <laughs> the video guys are here. What are we going to do in warm-ups? What are we going to do in warm-ups, Mitch? What – eh? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go under the bar. We're going to be doing a lot of – Hey, just a lot of not taking a lightly on these double A boys. Okay. Double got game. Double A players got game. Are they at the compete level of triple A though? Are they at the compete level of triple A though? I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna see. Let's not overlook, but let's kind of overlook because I got the cameras tonight. So I wanna see some spin moves. I wanna see some toe drags. I wanna see a whole lot of everything tonight, boys. Coach Chip B's on the line. Everything's on the line tonight for team style and flow here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Something like that. It'd be something like that. It'd be something like that. That was amazing. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable, <laughs> dude. You got skills. That's hilarious. Okay. We got we got one more for you. This one, I I took some time yeah. trying yeah. to draft it because this is going to make me laugh. Okay. How would Austin Matthews, yeah, let's go. Poppy, AM34, Respond the morning Poppy. after absolutely sending it with the boys. He's 10 minutes late to practice, and Dubes wants to punish him with a bag skate. All right, all right. Dubes, man. Like, I'm, I'm 10 minutes late. What did I do last night for you? What did I do last night? I tucked, what, I tucked four. <laughs> I'm, showing, I'm, showing, I'm showing up 10 minutes late. I get paid the big bucks. I'm not skating today. I'm not skating today. I'm not even going to go on the ice. I was... I was getting after it with Mitch and the boys. He's, no, I'm not. I'm not dupes. I'm not skating tonight. Tonight, are you kidding me? I'm your entire roster. Yeah, go, okay? go, 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 go. See what the fans are gonna do if you don't play me tonight. Go see. Yeah, yeah. You can skate me. You can skate me. I'm not doing it. And if you don't play me tomorrow, you're not selling any fucking jerseys. So, do do what you need to do. I'm not gonna. I'm. Do you dupes? Poppy's not skating today. 
pop, he's not skating today. Something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Something like that. I don't know. I'm overthinking, eh? But that's the thing. Like, comedy, you can't let you got it. You can't overthink, right? Oh, like, dude, like, that's can't... amazing. Oh, that dude, we amazing. had to. We, we muted ourselves because we were laughing too hard. I don't know if you saw we were dying. That's oh, I fuck. I can't even look at you guys. I'm just looking. I'm looking up at the fucking sky. I don't even know. Like, that's I, when you like when you do comedy, like it's like, or like when you do like the improv, like you have to just like you can't think you kept the flow so that's kind of what i want my slogan to be for style and flow like don't think just flow Amazing. um because that's like that's what it is that's, that's what it's about right like you have to improv like you can't be overthinking like what what helped me with the improv was doing freestyles so me and my buddy my buddy's like an oh. up-and-coming uh like an artist oliver joseph shout out him definitely go check him out um but uh we would do we would turn on beats and we would just freestyle so when you freestyle you got you can't be overthinking the next word like you just have to like feel the beat you have to flow you have to just be able to say something and if you if you like fuck up you just have to keep going and just like not getting like you know like in your head right that's like getting out of your mind and just like yeah. into the room into the room or like we are our entire environment like that's what i realized like to get out of your mind like you have to like you know ground yourself like touch the objects around you like especially when you're going out in social settings like just just be in the room like don't like don't be overthinking don't be in your head like when you're talking to someone and now you're thinking like what you're going to say well, that's, how, that's a very difficult to have a conversation when you're doing that, especially okay. when you're I don't know, talking to girls. Like if you're thinking about your next word, you're going to be like, you know, like, you're going to be stuttering. You're not going to know what to say. So it's like, get out, get out of the, get out of your head into the room, start asking people questions. Hey, how's it going? And then people love talking about themselves. So if you could just, you know, ask people questions, like you're going to have, you're going to build sick connections with people and kind of help me a little bit with my social anxiety for sure. Very true, man. There's nothing, honestly, like living in the present. You hit the nail on the head there. But let me tell you, you definitely got the skills. Like I said, we, we had to mute ourselves because we were dying. We were dying. That You sold it. We, yeah, you got it. You got it. Hell yeah. Me. For sure. Hell yeah, boys. I appreciate you, boys. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're doing, though. I love that you guys are creating. Like, I would say just, like, yeah, keep going, boys. Like, Thank you. Get your, get, get your personality into it. Like, you know what I mean? Let's go full throttle. Like, that's what <laughs> yeah, it is. That's what it is. Like, Slowly getting the hang yeah. of it. Hell yeah. Well, Coach Chip, that was honestly such a pleasure. It was a great time getting to know you, talking to you. Just before we, we end, I mean, I'm sure most of the people listening know about you, but you know, feel free to plug some of your pages, maybe some of the other pages you've been working on so our listeners can can find that and check you out. Oh, yeah. Chippy Man 16. Uh, I think I got another. I got like Chippy Mojo. I got like chip chips and crypto. There we go. I got like I got like nine different TikToks. Like, go make nine TikToks. Go create some TikToks. <laughs> All we have to do is create. Go create. Get in the love flow that. state. Hell yeah, baby! Love that. I appreciate you guys. Million. I appreciate. I'd love yeah, to. No I'd love to come back on for sure. Talk Absolutely. a little bit about more about the Leafs and stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. we definitely love yeah. to have you. Yeah, next time maybe before the season starts, we can talk a little bit what we're thinking about the Leafs and and just chat hockey. Let's do it, boys. I appreciate right. you. Sounds good. We'll plan it. We'll be in touch. And all the best with the rest of the summer. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yes, sir. Boys, Coach Chip, sending love. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate man. that. Back at you. Easy, boys. Take it easy. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabo Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabo Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabo Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabo Town today or find them on Instagram at manabotown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. 
now we're going to talk about you know some 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 a bit of sad news but we're going to hope to turn it into a positive um you know sports in general lost kind of one of the greatest commentators of all time Vince Scully 94 years old one of the definitely one of the goats of of commentary you follow baseball more than I do and and I know who Vince Scully is um I think he, I believe he held the record for the longest time a broadcaster worked with a single team mm-hmm. that's that's pretty special um, so I want to give our condolences out to him, man. Do you have any words to say about Vince Scully before we kind of turn this time to hockey? Legendary Dodgers um, yeah. commentator. Honestly, every time I listen to him, he would make me smile. Honestly, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the best commentators, not only because he understood the game so well, but he was just a joy to listen to. Very positive person. And yeah, my condolences yeah. to his family. So, you know, in sort of, we thought, what can we do um, to talk to honor Vince Scully, but also kind of bring it in hockey into this. And we kind of thought talking about Vince Scully is one of the most legendary broadcasters out there so i thought let's talk about our favorite hockey commentators and our favorite moments from them so let's start with you Ange. who's your favorite commentator and what's your favorite moment yeah so i admittedly this this um this moment isn't going to come from my favorite commentator but it is without a doubt my favorite commentating moment because Mm -hmm. it still gives me goosebumps every time i hear it i mean we're gonna cut to it now let me know if you guys remember it he's on the ice with a ginlock Again, let's go! Right, so if anybody has ever watched hockey before, you will know that's Chris Cuthbert's um, explanation of the golden goal Sidney Crosby scored at the 2010 Olympics mm-hmm. in was where, Vancouver. Where, in Vancouver, yes, in, in Vancouver. It was honestly one of the craziest hockey moments of my career watching. Yeah. It like it gives me goosebumps to even talk about it now. Uh, I remember that time Sidney Crosby was struggling. Was. He was struggling. A lot of people were saying he shouldn't have been playing on that first line. Coach sticks to his guns, puts him out there. Aginla gives him that incredible seam pass from the from the left corner. And before you even see the puck come on Crosby's stick, it's, it's hammered through um, the five hole of was it Ryan Miller? It was Ryan Miller? Was it Ryan then, Miller? Yeah. And I will I will never forget it. Even doing research again, I listened to the to, to Chris Cuthbert's talking about it, and like it, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, well, that's definitely. For any any Canadian hockey fan who was kind of I don't know over the age of six or seven in 2010, like that that's just a a huge moment. Like they you can always just start playing that, and everyone's gonna know what it is. They have a they have a freaking exhibit for it. So the Hockey Hall of Fame 12 years later, like it, it's a huge moment for hockey in Canada and just hockey in general for for hockey fans. So that's yeah. uh, you can't go wrong with that. There choice. was just so many like legendary things about it. The the Olympics are in Canada. You have the best Canadian player. Like, quite possibly in history of our generation, for sure, generation, playing against their rivals in Team USA in overtime at a time when Sidney Crosby wasn't playing well and just shuts all the haters up and scores yeah. probably the most important legendary goal in Canadian history. Uh, it's up there in terms of, like, this generation yes. that, that we've been alive for without a doubt. Without a doubt, the biggest goal for, for Hockey Canada. I'm uh, interested to hear... Your favorite commentator? Yeah, call. So my favorite commentator growing up was was Gord Miller from TSN, just because he used to call and he still does actually call the World Juniors. And like for anybody who's Canadian, even in the states, the World Juniors is still a big deal there. But that's a staple of the holiday season here. Usually, COVID's messed that up, but holiday season means World Juniors to hockey fans. And so, kind of linking to that, I'll give my favorite call from Gord Miller right now. A battle on the wall for it. Ellis in there as well. Boychuk looking for it. Tavares pulls it out. Tavares backhand towards the goal. Loose puck. Everybody scores! Tie 
So that was a legendary goal where Jordan Eberle ties the game. Six seconds left, semifinals against Russia in 2010. That It was even sweeter because Canada or Russia, huge rivalry. Uh, growing up, for some reason, I think it's because I used to watch a lot of like the 72 Summit Series documentaries as a kid. I always disliked Russia more than, than the States for whatever reason, even though the States are probably the bigger rival now. And Canada also went on to win that tournament. It's just such a moment you... I don't, I don't know. Tavares was on that team too, so it has a loose connection now. Um, there's also a funny backstory be- behind that goal. So I was watching that at my cousin's house, and my cousin had a, like, a, my family was over, and then also had some of his friends. This was, I think I might have suffered a concussion that day because, <laughs> so my, I was sitting next to my cousin's friend, and I, when that goal went in, I jumped up, and at the same time, he like threw his arms in the air and caught me clean with an elbow right on my head. <laughs> It was just such a crazy moment. I still remember that to this day. So the call, the moment, and also physical injury played a role in making that one a memory for me. Um, so, yeah, I think Gordon Miller is one of my favorite commentators, probably my favorite commentator, and that's my favorite moment of his. I remember when that goal went in, I like I initially didn't even cheer because I thought it was a mistake. It, like, it happened so bang, bang. Such a quick – when the puck was dropped 10 seconds and then six seconds was in, it was I'll, boom. It scores, and then I remember um, Eberly goes um, to, to the side of the boards and, like, scrapes the ice yeah. and gets tackled. But, like, yeah, I, goosebumps once again. Just talking about this gives me gives me goosebumps. There have been some crazy moments in Canadian hockey history that we've all been blessed with. Yeah. Like, what a time to be a hockey fan. 100%. Okay, I think we're towards the end. I'm going to wrap it up with – a little bit of trivia. And I'm going to test you here. This is going to be a rapid fire. Usually our trivia takes a few minutes because we give time to think. No thinking. No thinking. What I'm going to do here is I've picked 10 teams at random. And I'm going to ask you to give me their top goal scorer from this past season. This past season. Okay. okay. I'll give you like maybe one or two guesses per, but no time. We're going to go rapid fire here. Let's do it. Okay. You ready? Yavs. Oh, um, McKinnon. No, it was Miko. It was Ranton in? Okay. Wow. Well, 0 for 1. Also, Blue. follow along in the TikTok comments. Blues. Blues. Uh, Tarasenko. Yep, you got it. Canes? Canes. Um, Sveshnikov? Close. Aho. Aho, damn it. They were, they were a few goals apart. Rangers? Oh, Kreider for sure. Yep. Bruins? Um, Marshawn. Pasta. Oh, Close. I thought Pasta had Close. a down year. Panthers? Ooh, Huberto. It was Barkov. Oh, my God. I'm getting destroyed. It's okay. Stars, this is your boy. Oh, um, Robertson. Yes. This one should be easy for you, the Oilers. McDavid. Dry title. Dry title counts. You got, you, no, you got it. You Dry got it. Counts. You got it. Jets? Uh, ooh, the Jets. Mm, Connor. Yep, Connor. And then lastly, just because this is the guy on the list who had the least amount of goals of all these guys and like to make fun of them, the Canadians. Was it Caulfield? It was Caulfield. It was Caulfield. Like 23 goals. The other guys all had 30 at least, but what I, I, guess you, se- I think I went seven for 10. That's not bad. Could have been better. That. Yeah, we'll take it. Okay, that was a little bit of fun to wrap up the episode, I think. I think we're we're kind of there. Do you want to? Uh, you have anything that you want to say last minute before we wrapped up? I can't believe Connor McDavid didn't score more goals than Dreisaitl. I know Dreisaitl's a goal scorer on that team, but I thought McDavid had a year and a I half. Might be wrong. I might wow. be wrong. Let me see. No, you're definitely not wrong. But I mean, hey, I I do know who scored the most goals on the Toronto Maple Leafs last year. Also happened to be the um, best goal scorer in the NHL that yeah. year. Best goal scorer ever. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of this generation, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Him and Ovi are different generations. So, anyway, that was just a little bit of fun. Um, we hope that you um, all enjoyed 
the interview with um coach chippy coach i mean chippy. that's one of the first times that we've done an interview with like a non where it wasn't non-purely analytical we had a lot of fun with it yeah um let, let us know if you if you liked it follow us on twitter follow us on instagram feel free to dm us also dm us with like ideas that you want to talk about on the pod if we like them and we talk about them we'll definitely shout you out always love interacting with our supporters absolutely absolutely follow along with us throughout the um the next few weeks where we start delving into training camp i mean the season starting is like coming right around the corner. So yeah, we maybe have a month and a bit of maybe some more boring stuff, but it's going to come. It's going to come quicker than we think. It's going to be um, 2022, 23 seasons on the horizon. So it'll be fun. We're excited. Follow along with us and we will see you next week. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review podcast. We'll see you all next week.